0: 1 Peter chapter 3, 13 through 17. May you remain standing for the reading of God's word. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Maybe may be seated, may we be blessed by the reading of God's word this morning. I came across this article this week in uh, Fox News, and it's so appropriate for this passage Of scripture and I believe where we're at uh just in our our lives but the title of the the article is this it's the uh, Christian persecution is seen more and more locations across the globe than ever before so this morning we're going to talk about persecution and what does it look like for us as believers to endure persecutions we'll look at five things but I want to read this report or some highlights from this report uh, about persecution and about our bl- brothers and sisters around the world uh, that are being persecuted today. It says this, in 2016, just as last year's report, uh, we have seen a, the worst level of persecution in modern times. Been more persecution in the last year uh, than any other time in modern history. Here's another report. It says new uh, religions have shown nearly 90% a uh, thousand Christians were killed for their faith in 2016. Let, let me say that number again. 90,000 believers last year alone were killed for their faith. They were persecuted. It says this, uh, that's just the, the death of believers. It says this, that nearly 600 million were persecuted or prevented from practicing their faith through intimidation, forced conversions, meaning they were forced to make conversions that they did not want to make uh, bodily harm and then ultimately death 600 million it says this India saw uh, some of the highest levels of of persecution this past year it says this there is nearly an average of 40 incidences a month in India of Christian persecution and so we see Uh, Maybe not here in our context, but around the world, believers are being persecuted more and more. I I believe we as Christians are being persecuted here in the United States. It just looks a lot different. Uh, If you've been watching the news at all in the last couple weeks with our new president, there's been persecution for believers. That he took a stand and not allow people to come in. And who got the backlash of that? We, the believers. So we'll see persecution. We may not see death. But Peter here is going to tell us how we are to live in persecution. How we are to suffer. This is a scary prayer, but I've been praying this uh, in my own life. Because I believe when we face persecution, the depths of our faith grows exponentially so I've been praying and asking God that in some way shape or form I'll experience persecution because I really want the depths of my faith to really have roots I pray that's true for you I believe the American church is far too comfortable I believe that our forefathers what they fought for and what they desired to have freedom of religion that included every religion but it also included us the believer We've gotten too comfortable from where we've come from. Remember, our our forefathers fled England to come for freedom in our beliefs. I believe we've gotten way too comfortable. And none of us this morning have any fear that anyone's going to come and attack us. Thank God for BJ back there, uh, armed and dangerous. I don't know what arms he's bearing this morning, but thank God he's bearing an arm but we don't really have that, uh, that fear this morning. I don't really come to this pulpit week in and week out with a fear that someone's going to bust in the back door and, and hold us hostage. But this morning, Chinese and Indians face that persecution. And so for us, American church, for us, Powell's Chapel, what will it take for us to allow our roots to get deep i believe it goes to this first point here in first peter chapter 3 verse 13 let me read that verse and then uh, pick it apart a little bit for us now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good the first point this morning is do we have a passion for doing good see what Peter is saying to the believers that were being persecuted remember this book is written to persecuted believers we looked at that briefly last week throughout this letter to this group of believers they are being persecuted and he says to them here in this verse hey if you do good can you be persecuted and so for us if and maybe the 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 flip side to that is we've gotten too comfortable, and therefore doing good no longer means what doing good means in this text. See, what, what Peter's addressing to do good is to live out the Sermon on the Mount. And so do we do good by living out our Christian values outside of the four walls of this church? The word is uh, proved in one, in the original word in our Bibles. It's are zealous. So we are to prove, or we are to be, to become, the word prove or are in this text, we are to be good. And we are to be zealous for what is good. What does that word zealous mean? It means to have an intense enthusiasm that describes a person about a particular something. Are you and I enthous- enthusiastic about our Christian walk with God? Or do we, have we strained so far in doing good, we've blended in with the culture? You see, this afternoon, there's going to be grown men carrying around a football, and at the end of the game, someone's going to lose, and someone's going to win, and someone's going to thank God for winning the game. Nobody's going to thank God for losing, but someone's going to thank God for for winning the game. And they're going to say out the gate, man, I I praise God for this. But if you look at that person, whoever that person may be that says that, the likelihood of them being good or proving their lives to be good outside of that football game is very slim. You know, uh, modern um, rock stars, they talk about God all the time and their life doesn't prove to be good. I just wonder for us church. I don't think we're bad people. What are we proving to do good? Do we have a passion for goodness? Do you wake up in the morning with a passion for godliness in your life? That's what Peter tells us. This is what one person said about uh, a zealous life. It produces a godly life. The, the light of a goal for all believers which leads to a pure living. And it loses one's appetite for the world's ungodly attractions. Are we more attracted to the world or we are we more attracted uh, to the goodness that God has called us to? You see, because when we really live out living good lives, what Peter says is, hey, if you live out living good lives, then you're going to be above reproach and if you're above reproach, you can't really be persecuted as hard that's what peter's saying in this text he's going to go on to say though at the end in verse 17 it's god's will for us to be persecuted but one of the ways for us to deal with persecution is to have a passion for goodness the sex, the second thing is this in uh, verse 14 and verse 17 but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake you will be blessed And then in verse 17, he says this, For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that you should be in God's will, than for doing evil. The second thing is this, do you and I have a willingness to suffer? That's what he's saying to us. But even if you should suffer, what what those words means, but even if you should suffer, those group of words in the Greek means, no, it's not if you will, it's when you will. If we live out godly lives, we will suffer. And so, is there for you and in me a willingness to suffer? Turn over to Matthew chapter 10. We're going to come this morning to the Lord's table, to the Lord's Supper, as part of us remembering the suffering. But this is what Matthew says about suffering in chapter 10. Verse 24 and 25. He says this, a disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant to be like his master. Remember what our master and what our Uh, disciple or our teacher taught us he suffered you remember when christ pulled when god pulled on skin and became christ he knew he was coming to earth to what for one thing and one thing only to suffer he knew his life from the moment he pulled on skin and came the incarnation of god through christ jesus in the manger he was going to suffer he had a willingness to to suffer we're going to get to the reason that we are to suffer we're called to suffer and what happens does he say if we suffer let's turn back to first peter He says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, or when you suffer for righteousness' sake, you will suffer for righteousness' sake. You will be blessed. See, the outcome of our suffering, suffering if we suffer well, is always blessing. Remember what he told us in Matthew chapter uh, 5.10. Turn to Matthew chapter 5.10. This is the Sermon on the Mount where he talks to us about the Beatitudes, the end of the Beatitudes, and he says this in verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That word blessed or that word uh, blessed means this. It's not about your happiness. But it's about your privilege and it's your honor. Honored are those or blessed are those or privileged are those who face persecution. So it's a privilege for us to be persecuted. He says, and then when you face the persecution and you face the blessing, this is how we are to face that blessing. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. What, Peter? What, what? You're telling us to have a willingness to suffer, go through the suffering, and then when we suffer, don't have the fear in the suffering. What is he talking about? It literally means this in the Greek. Don't fear their fear. See, when you're being persecuted, it comes out of their fear of what they're hearing and seeing in you. You you know the old line, hurt people hurt people. Well, fearful people persecute people. And so what Peter is saying, hey, don't mind their fear. Don't let their fear dictate you. So when you're being persecuted, it's because of the fear that someone else sees in you. Do not be intimidated by unbelievers who persecute you. Now, that's not saying don't have fear. That's just saying to us, don't allow someone else's fear dictate us. Walk through the suffering because they are fearful people. And then he says, don't be troubled. What does that mean? It literally means do not be shaken or do not be stirred. Stand your ground. You see, we're here today because people did not fear and because people were not shaken. And I wonder for us, church, if 140 years are now, this place will still be here because people were not shaken and people were not stirred. Or will we become so fearful of other people's fear that will become recluses about what God's called us to, and that's the goodness, that's a godly life. Here's what John MacArthur has to say about suffering. He says suffering must be viewed as an opportunity to receive spiritual blessings, not as an excuse to compromise the faith before a hostile world. Say that one more time suffering must be viewed as an opportunity to receive spiritual blessings. Do we look at our suffering? Are we willing to suffer for spiritual blessings? And those spiritual blessings may not come on this side of eternity. Let me be real clear about that. I don't think the men and women in China that are being persecuted for their faith, I I don't believe the people in Iraq and Iran who are Their heads are being cut off, are receiving a blessing today. But I believe on the flip side of this eternity, they will receive crowns from the Lord Jesus because they suffered and they suffered well. There's no prosperity in this gospel. The prosperity does not always happen today, the prosperity may come on the other side of our eternity. But we may never have an excuse to compromise, he says about our faith before a hostile world. So challenging. Do you and do I compromise what God's called me to? Have I compromised what God has called me to and how God has called me to live because it's not comfortable in this world? And see, not compromising doesn't simply mean at every turn we gotta stand up and say something but it, the compromise may come in saying nothing at all. I like just blend in and just let it go. There's two possibilities that Peter gives us: one for good and one for wrong, for persecution or for suffering. Remember, he says in verse 17, "For it is better to suffer for doing good if it should be God's will." than doing evil there's two ways that we'll face persecution the first one is for doing what is right the second one is for doing what is wrong we'll face a different kind of persecution we'll face God's judgment I'd rather face the world's persecution and judgment than the Lord's judgment how about you 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 see one writer says it this way This world can attack us and attack the body, but what this world cannot do is rob us of our soul. You see, the Lord Jesus and God the Father and God the Judge judges the soul. He didn't judge the body. There's a judgment that we'll face. There's a persecution that we face if we do not do what God has called us to. So for us, the question has to be this. How do we suffer through our persecution? Two things. The first one is this. Do you, it's in verse 15, verse uh, part, the first part. He's saying, have no fear in verse 14 when you, when, you face tr- when you are troubled. But, circle that in your Bible, but when you face persecution what is what Peter's saying. But here's how we deal with the persecution. Here's how we walk through persecution the persecution here is the only way for us to deal with persecution the only way to deal with suffering and to suffer well is this but in your hearts honor christ the lord as holy so for us to deal with persecution and to deal with suffering and to suffer well the only way you and i will suffer well is through one way and one way only it's a devotion to jesus christ and to christ alone that's what he says he says, in the original text, is to sanctify your hearts before God. That, that means that you and I would have a willingness to submit to not just the, the Christ the King, but Christ the Lord. Not just Christ the Savior, but Christ the Lord. See, if Christ is your Savior, but Christ is not your Lord, you, you do not have true salvation. Because if Christ, all He is, is my salvation and I don't live under His Lordship, then I'm not going to do what He's called me to do when persecution comes. I'm going to get my get-out-of-hell-free card, but I'm not going to live my life under His Lordship, under His direct control, under His sovereign control. We must be devoted to Christ. The word uh, there in the Greek is to sanctify. I will not pronounce it because I'll butcher it. But it means to set apart to consecrate ourselves before the Lord. And we are to set Him apart from all others as our sole object of our love. That's what he's saying. That's what Peter is saying. But in your hearts, honor or sanctify Christ as the Lord, as holy. See, sanctification can only happen in the heart. Sanctification cannot happen through our external Circumstances. sanctification only happens internally and when we're sanctified then our external changes but just because the external changes doesn't mean there's been an internal change it happens from within before it happens with from without and so has there been in your life a true devotion or a true sanctification in your heart and in my heart to the lordship of jesus christ have we surrendered our all and all to him? Do we have that devotion? Because we don't have that devotion when the rough time comes we will bail out every time. I've seen it over and over and over again in marriages. There are tough times in marriages. And I promise this, I've told many, many spouses this. If your whole desire and your whole life is surrounded in your husband your husband will always let you down but if you have a sanctification or you have a desire for the lord when those tough times come you're no longer looking to your husband to fix the marriage but you're looking to god to fix the marriage your husband your spouse cannot fix your broken marriage only christ jesus can and it comes through our surrender to him Is that true for us, church, this morning? Do we have a true devotion to Christ? And then he says this, when you face persecution, have a readiness to defend your faith. Right, that's what he says. Always being, what, prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks, if uh, for the reason, for the hope that you have. He's going to tell us how to do that. And so for us, what does it mean to have a defense? I don't simply mean a defense like the people uh, that stand on the street corner and shout at people. That's not a defense. The, the word defense comes from a legal word in the Greek. It means to have a judicial defense. It's to state the facts if you go into the court of law and you have an attorney that and you are on the defense you want a uh a defender who states all the facts and states it factually correct you don't want some haphazard lawyer coming in there and so what peter is saying to us hey have all the facts the only way to have the facts is to have the knowledge See, I, if I have no defense, if I don't know the Word of God, I got some good ideas. I got what my mama told me. I got what my grandmama told me. But I don't have what God told me. You see, this is our defense. And so do we saturate our lives with the Word of God? This is our only defense. Christian music is not your defense, Christian school is not your defense. The list goes on. All those are good things. But if our defense is not founded in the Word of God, then we have no defense at all. He says, what? Always. Always be prepared to make a defense. Always means to be ready. There's a readiness when it comes to the word always. Are we ready to make a defense? Because I don't think when we face persecution, we can say to the one that's persecuting, hey, hold on just a minute, I've got to go get studied up and come back to you. And So we're being prepared day in and day out in our quiet time with the Lord Jesus. See, this is the reason we wake up in the morning and we get our lives saturated in the Word of God so that when we go into this hostile world, we have a defense ready for us. You see, this is this all you have for 52 weeks in a year? One 30-minute sermon, uh, probably some of you are like, no, it's more like 45, all right, 45-minute sermon. Uh, y- you don't have a ready defense. You've got Todd's defense, but you don't have your defense. You need to get in God's Word on your own. My whole goal, my whole call on my life from God is to push the people of God to the Word of God, so that the Word of God can transform him. It's not going to happen in a 45-minute time period on a Sunday morning. And so what does he say? Always be prepared with an account, to give a, 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 an account, or to give a word, or to give a message. But what for? What is our defense in? What are we defending, he tells us? Always be prepared to make a af- defense to anyone who asks you for the reason of what? The hope that is in you. The whole account that we're giving is about our hope. What is your hope this morning? You see, if he's saying to us, hey, be prepared to give a defense on your hope, what is your hope in today? I hope your hope is not in your job, I hope your hope is not in your family your car your whatever my hope is that your hope is in what Peter's talking about is in the lordship or in the gospel of Jesus Christ that is our account that is our hope the hope is the gospel that is our only hope amen God is not going you're not going to give an account to God for what kind of car you drove your car is not going to get you into heaven your house isn't your job isn't your friends aren't. Your mama, your daddy, none of them are. The gospel and you being founded in the gospel is what we give an account for to Christ so that we can get into heaven. But we also give that account to other people. One writer says it this way. Hope is not substitute, substituted for faith. He's saying faith and hope, they're, they're, they're different things. It is faith as it looks, this is our hope that we have faith as it looks into the future of the Lord's salvation. Is that what your hope is in today? Is your hope in your salvation today? You see, because when persecution comes, we give a defense, and our only defense is the gospel of Jesus Christ. How so? Do we hope this to be true? We look at the rest of the book where our hope is in the gospel of Jesus Christ and our defense for the gospel is so that one reason and one reason only that the hope of the gospel that's in us will draw others to Christ himself. We saw that through the, the second chapter of 1 Peter. Is that your hope this morning? And then he tells us, when you give the defense, you're to give it in two ways. How are we to give an account for the gospel? Look at the two words he uses. With gentleness and with respect. That's why I don't believe standing on a street corner telling people they're going to hell works. That's not gentleness. Peter says when you give your defense, give it with gentleness. And it goes back to what we talked about last week. The only way that we're going to live gentle, meek lives of humility is be reminded of where we came from and how we got here. Remember, you did not save yourself. Christ saved you. And so out of that, always is a constant reminder, man, I did not do this. Christ did it for me. And so everyone that's lost, Christ can do it for them. And we're going to do it in gentle ways. You've heard it before. We hate the sin and love the sinner. You hate the sin. But God's called us to love and love people. Therefore, we don't uh, justify, we don't condone sin by any realms. We'll call sin what sin is every time. But we'll do it in a gentle way. We'll do it in a loving way. We'll do it in a kind way. We'll do it in a respectful way. That's the first one. The second one is this, respect. Or in the Greek, it's the word reverence. And my wonder is this for us this morning. Is there a true reverence for you and for me in the gospel today? Do we really herald the gospel, our Lord Jesus, with great reverence, with great awe, with great fear? Do you realize, do I realize, the greatest gift that you and I have ever been given is our salvation from Christ and Christ alone. And now he's saying, hey, take that gift and give it away to other people. But I wonder, do we hold our salvation with great esteem? Or is it just some cheap toy that's been given to us? There is no greater gift than your salvation. Your wife, your kids. The greatest gift that you've ever been given by God as salvation, do we hold that? And I don't mean to, to diminish the gospel in any way, but do we hold it like a fine piece of china? That It's that precious, and it's that fragile. You see, when we look at it that way, we'll hold the gospel in a different way, in a sacred way. Do we hold the gospel with reverence? The word reverence means an expression, a devotion to God, a deep regard for Him and His truth. Even in respect for the people who are listening to our gospel. The last way that we are to live in persecuted lives is this, with a pure conscience. Do we have a pure conscience? Let let me let you know, the word conscience means a knowledge. The word conscience is not the Holy Spirit. Those are two different words in the Greek. Everyone on the planet has a conscience. How do I know that? Because I've got a two-year-old. He has a conscience. He's not saved. Therefore, he does not have the Holy Spirit, but he has a conscience. He knows what right and wrong is. How do I know that? Because when I tell him no, he puts it behind his back like I'm a moron and I can't see it. But that's his conscience telling him. That's his morality speaking to him. Hey, this is right and this is wrong. That's the conscience. It's what Pinocchio had. Um, you remember the, the little cricket. Hey, that was his conscience. That was not the Holy Spirit. And yet Peter is telling us it's not about the Holy Spirit in this text. You already have the Holy Spirit. What are you letting the Holy Spirit do with your conscience? Is what Peter is saying. You must have a pure conscience. How are we to have a pure conscience it goes back to have a sweet devotion to christ that's what you and i will have a pure conscience when the word of god intervenes in our life it will change us from the inside it will change even your conscience because then all of a sudden you got the word of god coupled with the holy spirit in your life it will change your thought process we are thinking beings correct that's our conscience That's where our knowledge comes from. That's where our ideas come from. And so he tells us in verse 16, having a pure conscience so that when you are slandered, those who rival your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. That only comes out of our conscience. Because if not, if my conscience is not pure, what's my defense always going to be when I'm being attacked? It's to attack. But if I have a pure conscience, my conscience say it's not worth attacking because you have the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, you have the Word of God, and the Word of God says, hey, deal with the persecution. But it only comes through a saturation of the Word of God. Do we saturate our words and our lives with this Word? Are we seasoned with this? I'll put it this way as we end. This week I made a steak. And I thought, man, I seasoned it well, and then I cooked it, and like a moron, took all the seasoning off. And I thought, well, maybe the season got into it. But the season never got into the steak. It was on the outside. It got cooked. It got seared. But the season never penetrated the meat. And I wonder how often we're like that piece of meat. We come here and we get seasoned with the Word of God. We come to church and we sing some hymns and we go to our Bible study, we go to our uh, Sunday school, we come in here and the, the Word of God is sprinkled on us and seasoned on us. But it has never penetrated us. See, the only way to really season a steak and season it well is through time. And it's a constant seasoning of the steak. But the same is true for us, the believer. We must constantly be in the Word of God to be seasoned with the words of God. Because church, I promise this, God's promise is true. He tells us in one of the epistles if you want to live a godly life, you must suffer. So, if you want to live a godly life, you will suffer. And the only way to suffer and to suffer well is to be saturated in the words of God. Here's what one Puritan writer says he says, Afflictions work for good. As they make way for glory. Not that they merit glory, but they prepare for it. As plowing prepares the earth for the crop, so afflictions prepare and make us ready for glory. The painter lays his gold upon dark colors, so God first lays the dark colors of afflictions, and then he lays the golden color of glory. The vessel is first seasoned before the wine is poured into it. The vessels of mercy are first seasoned with affliction. And then the wine of glory is poured in. Thus we see afflictions not as perditional, but beneficial to all the saints. Are we suffering? And suffering well, church. You see, in a moment we're going to come, we're going to come to the Lord's table. The greatest sufferer ever, and we're going to be reminded as we drink this juice and we break this bread that Christ's body was broken and spilled out for you. The suffering of Christ is what allows us to be in this place this morning. The suffering of Christ allows us to have a good conscience. The suffering for Christ allows us to suffer and to suffer well. Let us prepare our hearts for the Lord's suffering.